Intelligent, sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Now, Stacy Washington. Welcome to the program, everybody. Great to be with you today. It's Tuesday, and we have so much going on. First off, we want to start off with a tribute for those that lost their lives in the horrific Islamic terror attacks of 9-11. They happened, uh, it seems like an age ago. Uh, if you had children then, as, as we did, we had babies at the time. We've seen those children grow up, and we've seen the nation absorb the shock of the loss and try to move forward in a way that both honors those who lost their lives and looks to the future. And so one of the things that we've seen happen is a lot of people are are today posting beautiful images and sharing stories from that day. And I'm kind of in the same boat. I, I remember it vividly because my husband and I had an appointment and a girlfriend of mine was watching our kids that day. So we have the toddler, the oldest daughter. And then we have our son who's a baby and they're very close together in age. So we're driving to drop them off. And I remember being on a a very specific highway in St. Louis and seeing this. um, It was like a lot of people kind of pulled over to the side of the road, a lot of people walking and using their cell phones. And I didn't have a smartphone at the time. It was just a plain old cell phone. And so I, we're listening to some music. I turn over to our local talk radio station and they're describing, you know, a, a, an accident, an aircraft flying into one of the World Trade Center towers. And I looked at my husband. We're just driving along. Kids are in the back seat in their pumpkin seats and, and all that. I look at my husband. And I said, this must be some kind of horrible shock joke. Like, whoever thought this up will be fired because that's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. And he keeps talking. We turn over to AM radio and they're reporting the same news. So I immediately take my cell phone and try to call my parents who live in the D.C. metro area. It's actually in Virginia. But at the time, my mom had an office in Crystal City and an office at the Pentagon. And so at that point, I'm, I'm, um, I'm doing this. It's just like this dance in my mind, like what could possibly be happening? So I call and all of the lines are busy. I mean, utterly, like there's no phone call that we can make. So we rush to my girlfriend's house and she's there waiting to take the kids and she's got the TV on. And I remember she had one of those big, before flat panels were really popular, you had this big television that sat on a stand, it was all one piece. And it was like not as big as a regular TV in depth, but it was kind of, you you guys know what I'm talking about. She had one of those huge TVs. And on it is a picture of one of the World Trade Center towers. And it had, it's got like, it's been hit by a plane and she's sitting there shaking her head. And she's like, Stacy, it's something horrible is happening. So we come in, set the kids down and we all sit on her couch and watch the second plane hit. And then 
I realize, oh my goodness, this is ongoing. And when the Pentagon was hit, when the plane hit the Pentagon, I immediately thought, I can't get through to my mom on the phone. I wonder if she's there because she had the two offices and she would work at the Pentagon some days and some days in Crystal City. So it was a few hours later after, of course, Flight 93 was downed in the field in Pennsylvania and and we knew what was going on, that it was a terror attack, that I finally get a phone call. We canceled our appointment. We went back home. We spent about an hour at my friend's house. We went back home to our place and we're just sitting there wondering, like, what, what is what? First of all, who's who's been affected? How many people died, et cetera, et cetera. And I finally get a call from my dad. He's like, your mom's fine. Your mom's fine. Later, of course, we found out that the part of the Pentagon that was hit was her office and the other offices around it. She lost 26 coworkers that day. And the only reason she wasn't there is because she was on her way, the highway that goes directly to the Pentagon If you've ever been to D.C. and you've driven towards Springfield, Virginia, you drive right by the Pentagon on the highway. She was on that highway. She could see the Pentagon that morning. And she said, oh, my goodness, I forgot. She had a a box of files. This goes to show you how long ago this was. Everybody had email, but there was still a lot of paper that people kept. And she'd promised to bring the box of files with her. And she said, oh, man, I I had to run back to Crystal City and get it. So she got off at the exit, turned around and went back. And she was in Crystal City at her office getting that box and talking with some coworkers when the Pentagon was hit. And so I remember the day vividly because of that timeline, but I also just have this, it's like a sense of dread when you look at what happened that day and you think about how easy it was for these terrorists to come to the United States, learn how to fly planes, and then board a plane and do what they did. And that we now have the TSA and we have so many other things that we've done, Homeland Security, so many other agencies have been stood up in the, in the place of what was there before, yet we still have this rampant partisanship and it's really, it's kind of a horror that I don't really feel as if we're much further away from that moment when people could enter the country and want to do us harm because of what's going on on our southern border. And also, the partisanship, the, the hatred for Donald Trump and anyone who supports him, the hatred for any kind of any idea that goes against this this borderless, just everybody in everything goes type of philosophy that's dominating the left side of the political aisle right now. So right now, I want to listen to President Trump. He paid tribute to the 9-11 victims. He and Melania traveled to Pennsylvania today and they stood at the Flight 93 Memorial and they he gave a speech, and, and it's already being lauded as, as one of his better speeches. I think it's, it's interesting that he chose to go there. I, it's, it's wonderful. Um, and he, I, obviously, the speech was, I think, seven minutes. We just have a minute or so here for you. But I wanted you to get a chance to hear um, what the president said. And then I have a little bit of a response to that. It's number three. We're gathered together on these hallowed grounds to honor the memory of nearly 3,000 souls who were murdered on this day 17 years ago. We're here to pay solemn tribute to the 40 passengers and crew members on Flight 93 who rose up, defied the enemy, took control of their destiny, and changed the course of history. Today, we mourn their loss, we share their story, and we commemorate their incredible valor. 
on September 11, 2001, a band of brave patriots turned the tide on our nation's enemies and joined the immortal ranks of American heroes. At this memorial on this sacred earth, in the field beyond this wall, and in the skies above our heads, we remember the moment when America fought back. So we do remember that moment. And we remember the people that we lost and the bravery of the individuals on that flight who prevented the White House or the Capitol building from being among the casualties that day, uh, which would have been an utter victory for those who practice radical Islam and those who really want to see not just the end of America, but the complete obliteration of our influence in internationally and abroad. And, and you know, I think. I saw a piece this morning where someone, it was actually one of the White House correspondents and the emails that they send out where they're following the president around and they report. One of them said that he referred to it and then they put scare quotes around it, radical Islamic terror, as if it's out of vogue to say radical Islamic terror. It was Islamic terrorism. I don't know how radical it was since terrorism is practiced around the globe every single day in the name of Islam. But it was definitely Islamic terrorism. And we just have word out of Iran just today that they're talking about doing acts of vengeance against countries outside of their own border. In other words, they're saying we can still reach out and touch you wherever you live. We can still hit you. And we're going to because they're very frustrated with the, the situation in their country right now, especially economically with the sanctions being back on. And so in the face of that, we need some encouragement. Today is not a day where we kind of wallow and feel a sense of, of upset about anything. Today is a day that we remember those that we lost and ask God for his not only forgiveness for the wickedness that's in our land, but for his hand of mercy and grace and for him to protect us going forward. And, you know, the, there are still righteous men and women to be found in this, in this country. And therefore... The prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Also, the eyes of the Lord continually roam to and fro throughout the earth, searching for a wise man that he can show himself strong in, uh, for a righteous man that he can show himself strong in. So for us to be righteous, we have to get in our word, we have to pray, and we can't allow things like this to dampen our enthusiasm for our not, not just the practice of Christianity, but living truly for Christ knowing that the time is short and that evil is real. So in times like this, I, I love one of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making the wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, 
in enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm and all of them are righteous. They are more precious than gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them, your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And so with that, we want to remember the people that we lost and the brave individuals who rushed the cockpit in uh, Pennsylvania with the, the Flight 93, those people who they, they use their cell phones to make final calls and to say goodbye to their families. And then they rushed the cockpit and prevented what would have been arguably one of the most tragic results, which, you know, the, the Capitol building where our legislators were or the White House, even though the president wasn't in residence, to have that happen would have been catastrophic. So we honor them and their sacrifice, and we honor all of the victims and their family members, and even those who, because of the debris and breathing in the, the, uh, the dust from the buildings eventually coming down, they died from cancer, and, and many neighborhoods lost all of the dads in the entire neighborhood because they all worked in the financial sector and lived in, in close proximity to each other. And so we remember all of those families, and we ask God to extend his hand of mercy so that we never have a terror attack like that happen again on our soil. So the rest of the show today, we're going to be talking to Amanda Prestidigicomo, staff writer for The Daily Wire. She's going to come on and talk about Nike and Kaepernick and the gamble that they took and whether or not it's really going to work out. Uh, she has a piece up at The Daily Wire. I will put that uh, online at uh, Stacy on the right on the Facebook page. And then we also have some discussion about immigration. Because new information has come out this week, which it's kind of not getting the headlines on the right that it would, I think, just because of the hurricane that's going to make landfall in North Carolina and Virginia, and people are really concerned about that. Um, the president actually canceled his rally in uh, Cape Girardeau here south of St. Louis that was Thursday. He canceled that. So we'll be talking about just a few, just a bit, just to let you know what all's going on. Um, illegal immigrants cited in the theft of 39 million social security numbers. Illegal alien border crossings have surged. 100 Bangladeshi nationals apprehended in Texas within the last three weeks. We're going to talk about all of that in hour two. And in hour one, we'll take your calls. 866-963-2037. We'll be right back. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, the very first day in Israel, when we're staying in Jerusalem, we go to the Mount of Olives. And it's there at the Mount of Olives we look out over the old city of Jerusalem. It's a spectacular sight. You've seen it in pictures before, but it's another thing to actually be there as we walk down from the Mount of Olives to the Garden of Gethsemane and we pray there. It's going to be a wonderful time with brothers and sisters from around the country visiting the Holy Land, the land of Jesus. If you want information on this March 14th through the 22nd tour, just call us and we'll send you a brochure. Call 1-800-FAMILIES, F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option five, and leave us your name and your address and we'll mail you a brochure. Or if you want to simply go online at twholyland.com, everything's there, twholyland.com. 
Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. I once saw a movie in which some FBI agents were out to capture this fugitive and bring him to justice. But every time they got hot on his trail, he slipped right through their hands. It was as if he was being tipped off. You know what? He was. One of the agents was crooked and in league with this criminal. The FBI was not successful because of some serious disunity. Division is awful and destructive. It's a bad thing. Disunity means dismantling something, and the primary culprit in disunity is a spirit of division. It's a tragic truth. There are people who intentionally want to divide the body of Christ for their own agenda. Oh, they can sound very spiritual, but often their position comes from a heart of self-centeredness and personal ambition. We're not to tolerate divisive people. Some of the strongest language in the Bible is directed toward those who have divisive intentions. Listen to Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. He gives some very clear, strong instruction. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. You see, Jesus Christ died on the cross to make us one. The night before he was crucified, he poured out his heart before his heavenly Father in prayer, pleading for our unity. Now, if we're proclaiming the truth and its biblical principle we stand on, and people are divided because of an inability or unwillingness to respond to the truth, that's one thing. But if I have just a self-centered agenda, that's quite another. Here's what I want you to remember today. Division is a deadly poison. It contradicts the unity of the Godhead and destroys the unity He wants us to experience. Let's run from division and pursue unity. Join Crawford Loritz tomorrow for another Legacy Moment. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program, everybody. StacyOnTheRight.com is where you can hit the subscribe button. We also have fantastic news and information for you over at UrbanFamilyTalk.com and AFR.net. Visit, subscribe, share something there. There's all these little buttons at the top where you can hit the tweet button or the Facebook share button. We'd really love you to do that. So right now, it's my pleasure to welcome um, staff writer for The Daily Wire, Amanda Prestidigicomo. Amanda, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to talk to you. I'm, I, it's, it's such an interesting dichotomy, this split in America where you have a bunch of people, really millions of people who support Colin Kaepernick's quest to politicize his workplace and really want to see him reinstalled back in the, in the NFL. And they want to see him given prominence and they really, you know, they're always thanking him and sending him tweets and things saying, you're so wonderful for what he's done with the kneeling protests. And then there are many others who are also ticket holders, ticket buyers, et cetera, who feel exactly the opposite. And so Nike has kind of drawn a line in the sand by choosing him to be the face of the kind of revival or 30-year anniversary of the Just Do It uh, ad campaign. Yeah, yeah, they really had. Uh, this was clearly a business decision. Um, I think they were mostly banking on uh, President Donald Trump sounding off on this. And, and of course, there are a lot of people who don't like President Donald Trump, so that would, you know, kind of spur um, their publicity and, and, you know, and their sales. But, of course, as we saw during the, the NFL protests, when, when Kyle Kaepernick first started kneeling and, you know, continually as this progressed, that um, 
you know, boycotts and people turning up their TVs and not and not watching this because they strongly disagreed with the protest and they saw it as a form of disrespect to those who fought and died for our country. Um, you know, that kind of backfired. That those boycotts actually did work. And, you know, typically boycotts will, will die down, but as we saw, the NFL actually even you know changed their stance on this. A lot of teams were like, "Hey, we're going to stand." Uh, I think you know the openers. We had like what. Marshawn Lynch, one or two players who took a knee. That was pretty much it. Um, so clearly there is a backlash to this. This was a business decision on Nike's part, um, but I, I'm not positive it's going the way they planned. So they've lost a lot of market share. Um, and in your piece, you have a piece up at the Daily Wire where you talk about, um, you know, that – Colin Kaepernick isn't just controversial because he started the kneeling protest. He actually protests police officers. He thinks Fidel Castro is awesome. I mean, he's hardly a mainstream person. If you even if you separate him from the you know his his role in starting the kneeling protest, is he? Yeah, no, that's right. So he is you know the face of the social justice left. So as we see social justice warriors continuously do, they will praise somebody. Um, you know, like a murderous dictator like Fidel Castro. As we all know, Colin Kaepernick wore a pro-Fidel Castro shirt. Um, he wore socks that depicted cops as pigs. So again, that's a that's an anti-police sentiment. Um, he was very explicit about this. He said that America was a racist country against black people and, and of course, was talking about um, police officers. So this is not, um, you know, this was a, a broader, a very extreme social justice left stance that he took. Um and you had some people agreeing with him, and, and there were a lot of people who said, of course, he has the right to do this, but that, that doesn't mean there aren't going to be consequences for this. And, and as we saw, um, as I highlighted in my piece, Morning Consult had about 8,000 people they interviewed before and after Nike made this stance. And, um, you know, there was a huge drop in favorability of Nike after they made this stance. And, you know, as, as Michael Jordan once said, Republicans buy sneakers, too. So this was, this was a risky thing that they did. Um, you know, there are a lot of people who don't agree with Colin Kaepernick who did buy Nike products and, and we'll see if they continue to. So, um, one of the things that I, I found interesting about what you just shared, <laughs> I was kind of fascinating, 8,000 interviews. That's an over large sample for any kind of a survey, right? Surveys are usually 1,800 or 2,300 or at most 3,200 people. 8,000 adults were interviewed for this he he no no boost among key demographics which are younger generations nike users blacks and other demographics favorability declined rather than improved i saw an op-ed out saying that uh, over at the undefeated where they say that mm-hmm. black americans are really reevaluating their support of football as a sport even though a high percentage of the nfl players themselves are black that most black Americans don't see the NFL as being supportive since they don't want the protests to go on. Does that really make sense in light of this survey result? I, well, so if you look at surveys about the, the NFL um, protests, there is a split between black Americans and white Americans. And, and, and that's just undeniable. Black Americans uh, majority, according to polling, support Colin Kaepernick and, and the protests overall. Uh, the poll from Morning Consult uh, so it was 8,000 people total, and this was these were interviews before and after um, total. So I think there was about uh, you know two to three thousand that was post Nike split, and they kind of put all the data together to get these numbers. Okay. Um, but as we saw, so there I think there was a there's an initial surge 
um, that Nike garnered from from this, you know, from their the stunt basically with having Colin Kaepernick as, as the face. But overall, it's about the stock market. And we see at, at these like longer term holes, um, it's not. You know, they took nearly four billion dollar hit in, in uh, market cap, um, like right off the bat, and, and we also see favorability dropping overall. So again, you have to, uh, you know, look at demographics. Of course, you know those are going to be different. But even the the demographic of Black Americans that 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 drop a little bit in this polling as well. It's. I think. I think there's. There's a few ways you can look at it. I, and I think, so you broke that down well, and, and that gives us some further understanding to what's going on. But I, I do think there are Americans out there, and, you know, so there are obviously more black Americans support the kneeling protests than do not. But there's a significant mm-hmm. number of black Americans who understand that that's Colin Kaepernick's workplace. And so the mm-hmm. prohibition on kneeling there and the backlash, the corresponding backlash, whether it's misunderstood or not, impacts the profitability of his employer, which is why he's unable to get a new job in the NFL. Um, and, and so there were other options for protesting. And, and I also saw in that undefeated piece that there's this big kind of, they're saying, look, he accomplished something because the NFL has pledged, I think, $87 million to uh, programming to help improve relations between black communities and the police and um, educational things and stuff like that. But why does the NFL writ large, why are they responsible for what's going on in black America as opposed to the players themselves who hail from black America using some of their millions, billions collectively to do something positive in the black community? Yeah, I think that's what people would like to see. They would like to see, you know, people kind of put put their money where their mouth is. And instead of, you know, going after something so controversial, uh, something that would really be offensive to a lot of people and this transcends color there, you know, all everyone, you know, black, white, brown, orange, everybody, uh, different people serve in our military, protect our freedom, um, give, give, die to give Colin Kaepernick the right to take that knee. So, you know, there are other ways to go about this. I think it was coach Tony Dungy. Uh, he's retired now, of course, but he said that, you know, it, he, he's also black. Uh, mm-hmm. He said that, you know, kneeling during the national anthem is, is offensive and that if he were a coach, he would like to give his players a platform. You know, I'm not one of these people who, who thinks that, you know, you just, you know, shut up and sing or play and shut up. No, if, if you have a, a concern, I think it's, you know, fair game to state your case. But, but you know, as Tony Dungy said, I would give them a press conference or, um, you know, give them a platform to speak their piece. But, but kneeling during the national anthem um, was intentionally controversial. And, and as we see, Colin Kaepernick, uh, you know, scored this, it's not estimated to be, you know, seven-figure deal with Nike. So he didn't, you know, and that's kind of the irony here, that, you know, the, the Nike ad is believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. I mean, that, that must be a joke. I mean, Colin Kaepernick was, you know, he, he only started kneeling once he was second string. I mean, what, what exactly did he risk? <laughs> he was already on the fence. Um, you know, this, yeah. this Nike ad, you know, landed him at least a million dollars. Um, you know, there are, there are actual people, Army Rangers, who, who died. You know, who were NFL stars who took off in the NFL to go join our armed forces and died protecting our rights. I mean, that's sacrificing everything. Um, you know, getting a Nike deal, I'm sorry, in my opinion, is not, is not sacrificing everything. In other words, Amanda, he's still living in the 1%, right? Exactly. <laughs> As he was before. Because exactly. what, riding the, the bench. Born. 
yeah, riding the bench is four sixty six. I think four hundred sixty six thousand dollars a year they make riding the bench. That still puts him income wise in the one percent. But he earned millions before that. So at no point has he ever and, had and to dip down. down. Yeah, and he's turned down a deal. I think from the Denver Broncos because he didn't want to lose out his more money. So I mean, you know, give, give me a break. He he had he's so affluent. He has so much money. He didn't. He didn't sacrifice or risk anything. I mean, even if you disagree with Muhammad Ali, he at least risked something. I mean, he, he, he's been boxed for, what, four or five years. I mean, that's actually risking something for something you believe in. This, this is a joke to me to say that he sacrificed everything. Give me a break. I, I agree. I'm, and what happens is, so in expressing this, I invariably have people, you know, we had someone call into the show who was pretty upset. Um, I've also had people email me and really nasty emails about the idea that, I wouldn't support Colin Kaepernick's right to say whatever he wants. And I've, at no point have I said he doesn't have the right yep. to protest. Yep. What I've said is he's harming his employer by doing it on the job. And that with a platform like his, he's, his girlfriend is a top DJ in uh, the New York City radio market, one of the biggest radio mm-hmm. markets in the country. Between the two of them, mm-hmm. they could have, as you said, done a couple of press conferences and then headed straight to Instagram and they would have probably been able to get a huge swath of Americans who maybe are or are not football fans, maybe even some that were, to, to support the cause that he was espousing because they wouldn't have connected it to the military or to the flag. And they would have said, oh, so he's, he's advocating for better relationships between black communities and the police. I'm down for that. I, I don't like Fidel Castro, but as long as he's talking about improving relations between the police and, and you know disadvantaged communities – uh, you know, what's not to like? He would have had broad support from all different parts of the political spectrum and Americans who aren't political, who only watch football, would not have connected him and his cause with something that they love that they don't want to see politicized. I think it's a huge mistake for him because he seems not to have gotten the message that there's support out there for his ideas as they pertain to some of these things. But he can't even see that because he's too busy trying to say, you know, the, the NFL, they're slave owners. Please point to me at a point uh, during the history of slavery in America or anywhere in the world where slaves are paid millions of dollars and allowed to leave their job if they want. Right, right. I mean, it, 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 it's totally comical. I mean, clearly this, this protest was about him. I mean, this is, this is clearly about him. He might, have, he might feel passionately about something, but he knew what he was doing. He knew that this would set people off. You know that this would hit people, uh, you know, who, who know people who have died for our country. Um, you know, all Americans, you would think, would, would feel some, some pride during the national anthem. And he knew what he was doing. He, he wanted this attention. He knew that he, doing it this way as opposed to having a press conference or doing something with the radio or, or drawing attention to this in a productive way. He, he wanted to do it this way for that reason. So, um, you know, you can think whatever you want of him, but, you know, spare me the, the heroic. So I'm, I'm sure you saw the story because I, I see people online already politicizing the story of Botham Jean. Uh, he's a person f- uh, who emigrated to this country from St. Lucia, and he went to college. He went to a Christian college in Alabama, graduated. And he was working for PricewaterhouseCooper in his apartment, uh, I think Friday night, when an off-duty police officer still in uniform came home and mistook her apartment for her own. And when he didn't respond to her commands in the dark— she shot him. And right. even though they gave him, you know, they, they tried to give him life giving procedures. And at once they responded four minutes after he died at the hospital. And so people are saying, see, for all of you people who are 
you know, criticizing Colin Kaepernick. It's true. The police really do run around shooting black people for no reason. I think that's a real stretch here in this case where the officer was off duty and it wasn't in the commission of a crime. She wasn't responding to a crime scene. She wasn't responding to an officer's call for help. She mistook this guy's apartment for her own and reacted incorrectly. She didn't even give him an opportunity to, you know, if if she'd even hit the light switch so she could see, oh, my goodness, I'm not in my own apartment. So she's been uh, arrested and, and charged with manslaughter. And I know it's early. Obviously, it, it, it remains to be seen whether she'll plead it out or actually go to trial and be convicted. But clearly, mm-hmm. this is not a, a case of the same thing that Colin Kaepernick has been protesting. Do, do you I mean, do you see a connection between that story and what he's been saying about taking the knee? No, no. I mean, exactly. You said this was a, this was uh, an off duty. This is an off duty cop. Um, obviously, this is a horrific story, and it's such a tragedy that this, that this person was killed. And you know, she'll probably be convicted. And and as 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 we know, the facts are now. I mean, she probably should be. I'm. I have yet to see evidence of this being racially charged. I have, I have yet to see evidence that this was like maybe a plot that she you know went into this apartment on purpose. That it was an accident. I, I don't see the evidence for that. I mean, if that were the case, that'd be horrific. But again, this has nothing to do with, um, you know, she was not on duty. This is just a, a person who went into the wrong apartment and, you know, tragically killed somebody. And, and that should be, you know, tried to the fullest extent. And she should suffer consequences of whatever, you know, jury or whatever the evidence, um, you know, finds. But again, this has, this has nothing to do People who are turning this into something that Kaepernick was protesting, I mean, that's just silly. I mean, we, we don't have any evidence of that whatsoever. I, I tend to agree with you because I so I was following the story and I just I was I was concerned that if she wasn't arrested and charged, there were already calls over the weekend. They had a vigil and a protest march saying that she was given special treatment because the Texas state troopers were investigating the case, which the uh, actual police chief remanded to them because she wanted to make sure that it was transparent. But now that she's been arrested and charged, I, I really think that justice will follow. And I just wish that people could have some clarity on what's going on with Colin Kaepernick. Your article goes a long way to helping with that. Amanda, thank you so much for joining the show today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right. Talk to you again soon. Um, we will be back with more right after these messages. Stay there. it take to live an uncommon life? Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. There is no clearer showcase of your character than the way you treat others and expect them to treat you. The way you handle relationships, particularly your close ones, will impact every other area of your life in one way or another. According to 1 Corinthians 13, love means doing everything for someone else's benefit. That doesn't mean passively giving in to the other person's every wish or being dominated in the relationship. It means making every decision with the other person's well-being in mind. Be active in the lives of your spouse, your family members, and your friends. Real love changes lives, including yours. 
New York Times bestselling author, Tony Dungy. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com. It's time to call your senators. We need to tell them to put an end to the liberals' filibuster, switch to a majority vote, and defund Planned Parenthood. Call the Capitol switchboard at 202-224-3121 or go to afaaction.net. Senators respond to constituent calls. So call 202-224-3121 and tell your senators to switch to a majority vote and defund Planned Parenthood. Your call will make a difference. And this is where I often say that the Word of God is not meant merely to be consumed. The question is not how many scripture you can retain. The question is how much scripture can you use? Now, thoroughly enjoy the Hamilton Corner. It's a bright light, just a priceless information, and God's Word is so needed. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter, weekday afternoons at 5 Central on Urban Family Talk. I'm Chad Pergram with the Speaker's Lobby. Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh sat through grueling hours of sharp questioning, fireworks between senators, and vocal protesters. Now it's up to the Senate to provide advice and consent on the nominee as required by the Constitution. The next stop for the nomination is the Senate Judiciary Committee. The committee is split between 11 Republicans and 10 Democrats. We expect a party-line committee vote on Kavanaugh around September 20th. Then it's on to the floor. Last year, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell established a new precedent to shut off filibusters on Supreme Court picks when senators considered the nomination of Supreme Court Justice Neil Gorsuch. The Senate just swore in Republican Arizona Senator John Kyle as successor to the late GOP Senator John McCain, so Republicans appear to have just enough votes, 51, to end debate. The procedural vote should fall on Monday, September 24th. Once the Senate votes to end debate, it's just a matter of time. A confirmation vote on Kavanaugh is likely to come no earlier than Wednesday, September 26th. The Supreme Court's new term begins on the first Monday in October. With the Speaker's Lobby, Chad Pergram, Fox News. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. You know, one of the hypotheses that's been floating around about the economy lately is that the strong economy that we're seeing is just a continuation of recent trends. And, uh, you know, since we're the nerds at the White House, uh, we decided that this is a testable hypothesis. And so that what we can do is we can go out and we can estimate recent trends. Uh, that is trends that ran in the economy up to the point of the last election and then compare the latest data to the recent trends. Uh, and so the blue part uh, to the left of the slide uh, is what happened from the uh, 2012 election through the 2016 election. Uh, and the dotted uh, blue line is the trend that President Trump inherited from the previous president. And the red line is what actually happened with the data. Uh, and so I think that if you look at this chart, you can see that the first thing is small business optimism. Uh, the middle chart is the percent reporting now is a good time to expand. The last one is the percent expecting higher real sales in six months. I think if you look at any of those, you'd say, geez, that doesn't really look like the continuation of a recent trend. Welcome back to the show. Call lines are open at 866-963-2037. 866-963-2037. Here's what's funny about this. Um, did former President Obama not think that the charts and graphs would be deployed by Republicans to respond to his spurious claims that this all happened because of him? Um, we're talking about like quantifiable data that proves 
that there was a market upswing in activity on all fronts after the election of Donald Trump. It was literally the very same month, um, you know, that it, that it went up. Now, if you want to see that, uh, the, the link to that, I believe it's, let me just check here. I think, yes, it's right on Stacey on the Right Show Facebook page. You want to watch that video. And the reason you want to watch it is because as he's talking, he's referring to these charts and graphs, and they are really just, um, it's fascinating. So let's go over just a little bit of it here together. So you've got this White House economic advisor. He calls himself a nerd. I thought that was pretty funny. His name's Kevin Hassett. He's the chair of the White House Council of Economic Advisors. And he immediately takes to the podium with the charts and graphs to his left and right. And he starts talking about some of the specific areas. So the first thing he takes on is small business optimism. He talks about the percent reporting now is a good time to expand. And the last one is the percent expecting higher real sales in six months. If you look at those, it doesn't look like the continuation of a recent trend. It's literally the line that's blue, which represents President Obama's last year in office. The, num- the, the trend line is going down. It's spiking and going down. After every spike, it lands further down. And then you have a red line that represents November 8th of 2016. And then immediately after the red line, you see it picks up exactly where it was on the other side of the red line. And it starts trending upwards precipitously while spiking, but never, it it hasn't had a downtrend yet. Now, does this mean that there really was a magic wand? No. Does this mean that uh, this will always be the case? No. Does it mean there was a general sense of optimism in the business world to have someone who promised to cut taxes and to, you know, reform the tax code for private individuals as well as businesses, that that represented a, a, a good thing to them? Yes. Is it racism? No, because that would be basically asserting that millions of Americans held off on doing things with their businesses to spite a black president to their own detriment. So they refused to make money while a, 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 a black president was in office. That just does not fly. People knew that there was going to be a directional shift. They began to anticipate that. And consequently, the numbers went up. Business investment is up more than $300 billion over the trend. So it's not a continuation of a recent trend. So, and this is, this is where the rubber meets the road, which is why I think, you know, we're going to listen to some audio later of Maxine Waters kind of, she's basically reinvigorating. It's like she's giving her threats from before that she basically denounced and Nancy Pelosi denounced them and, and Chuck Schumer denounced them. And she'd come out and she'd kind of walk those comments back about not letting Trump supporters exist in public. Now she's reinvigorating and shock, giving the, the, those threats the shock treatment so she can bring them back to life like Frankenstein. Because in her mind, it's better to be talking about her making threats or not making threats than to talk about what this White House economic advisor and self-proclaimed nerd shared with all of America today. People will do anything to suppress news that proves that what they want to sell you is bad. It's like a bad financial advisor who charges you way too much in fees. He doesn't want you listening to his competitor who charges a third in fees and you make much more money because he gives better financial advice. No one wants their competition to be able to speak to you clearly and cogently so that there's a fair competitive uh, lay of the land. 
everyone wants to tilt the board in their own favor. That's not a Christian precept, by the way, but that's the way a lot of people operate. And we can see that because if this were truly a fair operating marketplace, then this same story would appear on CNN. And it would appear multiple times in a four-day period to catch the entire audience. People would definitely show this clip of this this White House guy standing there presenting this information with the charts and graphs behind him and the link to the story at CNS News so that they could make sure that people understood that while we do like President Obama, the people at CNN do, he's not responsible for the current economic boom that America is experiencing. And Donald Trump, let's not, let's not be unclear here. Donald Trump is not directly responsible. It's not like Donald Trump's out there telling every business what to do. But he did give the market signals during the campaign that if he was elected, he would chart a different course economically. And that is enough to change sentiment among business owners. So I want to listen to the rest of this. And then, of course, we'll take some calls. Um, the call lines are open 866-963-2037, um, Here is the same, same economic advisor. And now he's talking about structures and buildings and durable goods. The first chart is non-residential fixed investment, uh, and the dotted line is the trend and the growth rate of that uh, that President Trump inherited. Uh, for the middle uh, uh, chart is structures uh, or buildings, and that, as you can see, the dotted line is something that's headed straight down. And then the final chart is equipment investment, and that went straight down before President Trump was elected. And I think that if anyone were to assert that the uh, capital spending boom that we're seeing right now was a continuation of the trend that President Trump inherited, then, well, you know, they wouldn't get a high grade in graduate school for that assertion. Uh, the next chart, please. Uh, durable goods orders, capital goods orders, it's a key part of the economy, and it's one of the factors that we look at most closely because it characterizes basically the, the, the good-paying jobs, uh, the jobs that affect normal Americans, blue-collar Americans. Uh, and the first chart is core capital goods orders, uh, and the second chart is core capital goods shipments. Uh, and if you look at it, the blue, again, shows a, a clear downward trajectory uh, in billions of dollars, uh, and then that trajectory reversed itself completely when President Trump was elected. If you were going to assert uh, that the current good news is just the extension of a recent trend, then you'd just simply be factually incorrect. <laughs> so the other part about this that's really kind of, sorry, but it's really funny to me, is that so he could have come out and you know how it is like we're all human. We all love a good, you know, pushback, a good smackdown, a good rant. And so he could have come out and been like, look, here's all what's wrong with what he said. This chart shows yet. But instead, he comes out kind of like a librarian. <laughs> He's like, well, anyone who believes that this is a continuation probably wouldn't earn good grades in graduate school with a straight face. I'm over here laughing. When I watched it this morning, I was like, Oh, this is so brutal. But he was not smacking anyone down. He was just coming out and correcting the record. That's that's the way it's supposed to be done. I I I give kudos to him for just coming out and sharing the information. You know, in all of his nerdy glory, his word, not mine. And I think uh, you know, the lesson here is just stop trying to take credit for other people's work, right? You know, you know. No offense, President Obama, but first of all, stop breaking protocol and criticizing President Trump by name. And second of all, don't take credit for stuff you didn't do. I know his favorite slogan is you didn't build that, but 
you really didn't build that Barack Obama. You didn't. It's not your thing. And so it's OK for you to, you know, give credit where it's due. Just say, you know, he is he, he has changed the atmosphere for business in America. And that's great. I'm glad to see Americans making money. That'd be so much more honorable. Let's go to Alex in Texas. Thank you so much for calling the show. Hello. Hi. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. I'm sorry about that. Well, listen, um, I'm really praying that uh, Colin Kaepernick has a a road to Damascus situation, you know, mm-hmm. with uh, doing what he's he filled, hopefully, in his heart for the black community. I'm just praying that you know, he realized that Nike gives many millions of dollars to Planned Parenthood, and once that's revealed, I pray that he actually charges them with some type of, um, you know, questioning and saying, "Why do y'all do that?" You know, I hope it. I hope it really turns in his favor. You know what? That is an excellent point, and I, I Alex, thank you for bringing that up. I want to say. Um, you know, in all of our conversations about Colin Kaepernick, my hope is that he would use his influence because now he has a sizable following in the black community, especially to be able to do something amazing. And wouldn't it be something if he said, yeah, in addition to giving up everything or whatever the slogan is, I'm also going to be the first prominent black American out there to say you shouldn't be giving money to Planned Parenthood. You know, you sh- if we're talking about saving black lives, why not save the most you can save? Uh, you know, almost 40 percent of all the abortions that Planned Parenthood does are black babies. But blacks are only 13.8 percent of the population and black women are 7 percent of the population. Seven percent of the women. Women are 51 percent of Americans. Of that 51 percent, 7 percent are black women. And 7 percent of the 51 percent account for almost 40 percent of the abortions. Come on now. We, we can we can do better. Uh, I think that's a great thing to, if you're on social media, to tweet Colin Kaepernick. I mean, if if we're going to have a movement, why not have a movement that actually yields the saving of lives? Imagine all of the Ben Carsons, Condoleezza Rice's, Colin Powell's, and other unnamed black Americans who do amazing work in their career field, in their homes, raising kids, working as teachers and nurses and you name it, working in factories, working wherever they work. Imagine... How many of those people we are just flushing away in the name of bowing down to the God of sexual freedom and, uh, you know, reproductive rights, which are just euphemisms for sin against the temple of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So I, I, I think it's an excellent point. Alex from Texas has, has the right mindset. And we honestly, as much as I feel annoyance when I see, when I see Colin Kaepernick doing what he's doing to his career and leading other people down that wrong path, other viable sports figures who are pretty popular or maybe aren't even that well-known kneeling and kind of basically putting a red mark on themselves saying, look at me. I want to destroy my career too. Average career in the NFL is three and a half to five years. Uh, These men have a very short period of time in which to be, you know, stars and play the game. And then after that, they have to be marketable They have to be able to earn a position or work a position doing something else, whether it's going into financial management or going into private, the private sector and not being famous anymore, or it's, you know, working on television, going and getting a television broadcasting job, you know, announcing or doing sports or even news and commentary. 
these individuals will have alienated themselves from half of America in participating in these protests. And it's not garnering like it's been asked over and over again. And I have the same question. How many lives in inner city Chicago, St. Louis or Baltimore have been saved by these football stars taking a knee? How many criminals have said, oh, I can't shoot anybody today. Colin Kaepernick has five NFL players taking a knee this week. I save all my shooting for next week. Sure hope they don't take a knee because I won't be able to shoot anybody. That's not what's happening. The violence and carnage is continuing. So the question is, what impact is he having? What impact is that $87 million going to have from the NFL? And, and I'm not scoffing at it. That's a lot of money. But if you look at the cities we're talking about and the impacts, you could spend $87 million in St. Louis in one month remediating all of the criminal problems that are going on in, in, down there. And I say down there because I don't live in the city of St. Louis. I live in the suburbs. So it, it, it's one of the things that I think is really most telling about all of this is there's no plan. So if you say to a person who's poverty stricken, here's a thousand dollars and you don't sit down with that person who's poverty stricken and, and map out a plan for what to do with that thousand dollars, that thousand dollars will be gone with probably within less than five days. And then what have you really changed? What have you assisted them in doing? If you give it a $10,000 to a middle-class person who's not good with money and you don't have a plan, I'm giving you this money to pay this bill off or fund this or, you know, get you out of that. This $10,000 is seed money for your oldest child's college education. This $10,000 is to be used to pay off your, your car loan so you can afford to stay in your house and, you know, pay all your bills. If you don't have a plan for it, it just flies. You don't know where it's going. And that's what's going to happen with that $87 million. And, and that's a huge travesty. Colin Kaepernick could actually, since he's not working, take the initiative to create a plan for that money and then get out and really protest on his own time and start showing Americans what, where his heart is on this. We'll see. All right. We'll be right back with Hour 2 right after this. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. 